Well, good morning, those of you who uh, own a DVR. It's, uh, yes. it's really good to see you. I seriously cannot believe this. I was just talking to someone. They're like, I never come to the second service. Is it like this always? And I'm like, no, it's not. This is, a, this is ridiculous. So anyway, well, good to see you. Good morning. My name is Jake. Glad you're here. Uh, I started off first service, you know, where the majority of our church went, apparently. Um, and uh, I started off telling a story, and I've never had a story that I've told that I couldn't get out of. And so I really thought, uh-oh, should I share this story again? Because they were literally in shock and horror. And then I thought, yeah, we got to share this again. So, uh, so here we go. I'll start off with this. A couple weeks ago, I shared a story about how I slammed my, my finger in the door to be like my dad, as strong as my dad. If you didn't see that, here's the lovely picture of my thumb, the way it looks today. Um, that's how it is. It's been like that for a long time. Uh, I thought today would be a great opportunity to tell another thumb story of a, someone that I met years ago. I only met them one time in Montana. I was traveling, doing, uh, doing some ministry work, and I met this kid, and I shook his hand, and he said the words, sorry about the thumb. And I actually thought in that moment, because my hand was deformed, that he was referring to my thumb. And I thought, how rude. Uh, but, but he wasn't. He was referring to his thumb, or should I say his lack of thumb. Uh, what he did is he had, and it was cut off at the knuckle at that point in time. And um, it was cut off because he cut it off. And here's the reason he cut it off. I had talked with, he didn't tell me at the time, but I had talked with his youth pastor, and his youth pastor lost his thumb in a tragic accident when he was a kid. I'm not making this up. This kid wanted to be like his youth pastor so much that he invited, all right, that he invited friends from the youth group to come over, and he was going to cut off his thumb to be like his youth pastor. This is really bad stuff. So they come over, and which I don't know what kind of party that is, you know, and like, you're just like, hey, come on over. I'm going to chop off my thumb. They didn't think he was going to do it. And then in that moment, all of a sudden he's there and he, this is what he cut it off on. It's a bandsaw. This is a, what a bandsaw looks like. He turned it on. I think they were still thinking that they were faking. And then all of a sudden he just goes, Whoop! and that was it. And uh, he lost his thumb, never worked, uh, it didn't work again. And I talked to his youth pastor and he's like, yeah, he did that because of me. And I'm like, oh, so it's your fault uh, <laughs> that this happened. So anyway, I tell that story simply this is that when I lost my thumb, I wanted to be like my, or hurt my thumb, I wanted to be like my dad. This guy wanted to be like his youth pastor. We want to be like someone. We all have somebody that we admire, someone that we look up for. Hopefully you won't lose a, a finger over this. But I desire days, I want to be like my dad still to a degree, but I, I desire also to mimic and to, to, to mirror, to imitate, to emulate, to copy the actions and the passions and the practices of Jesus. And I don't think I'm alone in that. I think there's a lot of you that that's our desire. We desire to be like Christ. Paul said this. This is what he said we should do. He said, in your lives, you should think and act. So basically, this is how we should live. You should live like Christ Jesus. The beloved disciple John, he wrote these words. He said, whoever says he abides in him, so that basically means whoever says he remains in him or confesses to be a Christian, ought to live just like Jesus lived. We are to be like Christ, Christ-like. We are to be just like 
Jesus. And Gandhi, the famous civil rights leader of India, he said this. He said, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians because your Christians are nothing like your Christ. Which is interesting and super sad. I mean, our desire is to be Christ-like so that we can glorify him. And so I will be the first to admit that there is a huge gap between who I am and who I want to be, which is like Christ. And I'm trying every single day, as I know some of you are as well, trying to shrink that gap so we can be more like Christ. And so part of the reason for doing this series, Just Like Jesus, is that, to shrink that gap. We want to investigate Christ so that we can imitate Christ. We want to study Christ so that we can be more and more like him. Uh, Paul himself says that we should be imitators of God, Ephesians 5.1. And so specifically today, what I want to talk about and how we can be like Christ is I want to preach like Christ. And not just me because I'm a pastor, We are to preach like him. We've talked about how to serve like him, how to love like him, how to walk like him, how to pray like him. Today we're going to talk about how to preach like him. And Jesus, that was part of his purpose. A big part of his ministry was preaching. Matthew 4, 17, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Mark 1, 14, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of God. Matthew 9.35, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching there in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Luke 8.1, Jesus began a tour of nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. In Mark um, 1, Jesus actually said this. He said, let us go somewhere else to towns nearby so that I may preach there also. And then this is huge. For that is what I came for. He said in Luke, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent, and look, look, look right here, for this purpose. Jesus preached. He preached to anyone, to everyone, everywhere he went, anytime. He preached, and we are called to do the same. In in the famous commissioning, Jesus said, we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We're to preach the good news to everyone. Peter, probably the closest to Christ, one of his closest companions, once said, and he, talking about Jesus, commanded us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the appointed one by God. And so, friends, bottom line to start us off, to get us on the same page, we are all called to preach. It's not just my job. Just because I'm the pastor doesn't mean that it's my job to preach. We are all responsible to preach the good news of Christ, all of us, all of us. And so now for some of you, you're thinking, well, that's crazy. I don't want to do what you're doing, Jake. I, you know, statistically, there are people who would rather die to get up and do public speaking. And so we need to redefine some terms here because we're not talking about public speaking. You do not have to use a podium to preach. You do not. So when we think preaching, oftentimes what we think is we think of pastors. We think of priests, of Billy Graham, of, of, you know, televangelists, of soapboxes and megaphones and things like that. And, And that's not it. That's not exactly what Christ had in mind. And so we need to redefine the term. 
And so as Yoda said, and let me be clear on this, the 1980 Empire Strikes Back Yoda, not the baby Yoda who's on all over the internet right now, he said, we must unlearn what we have learned. And when it comes to preaching, it's the same thing. Preaching is not equated to public speaking. Although sometimes it requires that, what real preaching in is, is, is sharing. It is sharing. It is sharing a late night conversation with your roommate because they have questions about Christ or a lunch with a coworker or it's, it's, a, it's a phone call with an old friend or a backyard chat with your neighbor or maybe you're having early morning coffee with a family member. It's a conversation and to be clear, it's a gospel conversation, meaning that it centers around the good news of Christ. That is preaching. And it's not just my job. It's all of our jobs. We all carry that weight. It is our commission to preach just like Jesus. And so we got to look at how Jesus preached. But before we look at anything that he said, we have got to start with his life and how he lived. Because what Jesus would do, and you'll notice if, if you look at him in the Gospels, is that he laid groundwork. He did a couple things before he ever opened his mouth when it came to preaching. And that's important. We've got to lay the groundwork. And so one of the first things Jesus did is he intentionally, this is important, intentionally entered into their world. He entered into the world of those who were far from Christ. He didn't stay where he was comfortable with just the Jews. He went out into the world. In fact, he developed a reputation for it, a negative reputation for it. Look at this in the Gospel of Mark. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for they were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus is developing a reputation for hanging out with the scum of the earth, if you will. Sinners, tax collectors. He went into the world of those who were far from God. And in verse 17, he says why. He says, on hearing this, on their question, hearing, overhearing their question, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And so Jesus went to where the sick were. He went to those, to those who needed to hear the good healing news of the gospel. So he intentionally entered into their world and he asks us, even commands us to do the same when he says go, right? He says go, which means get out of your comfort zone. And so when I say we need to intentionally enter into their world, I use the word intentionally, intentionally. Because we need a mind shift here. It's so simple, guys, isn't it? It is simple to just fall into the comfortability of hanging out with people from the church or people who are like us. And we don't want to be uncomfortable. And so we stay where we're at. We stay with our friends in the Bible studies. But it, we have got to intentionally develop relationships with those who are far away from God. Intentionally develop them. And for some of you, that freaks you out. Like, I don't want to do that. I just want to stay where I'm at. I just want to continue doing church the way I've done church. No, we have got to. There's this beautiful parable that Jesus of leaving the 99 to go after the one. And so we got to build relationships. So if there's somebody at your work, hypothetically, 
who's in a band, go listen to them. Cheer them on. Go to their concert. If there's somebody at your gym who's doing a fundraiser, you know, join in on that fundraiser. Support them financially with your words and, and, and come along and be interested in what they're interested in. Make connections to the parents of the, of the kids that go to the same school that you go to, to your neighbors. Lend them a hand if they need help mowing the yard or doing, you know, doing um, work here or they need some sugar or whatnot. Develop relationships with hairstylists, your barber, uh, waiter, waitresses, baristas, your, the people on your, your, your fantasy league. Develop relationships in those places with people who are far from God because they need to be brought near to God. And one of the best ways that that's going to happen is through you. In fact, that's the primary way God said about it. And so like Jesus, we have to intentionally, in our minds, go in and enter into their world. Not only that, Jesus modeled this as well. We need to invest in their well-being. We need to invest in their well-being. Before we open our mouth, before we say a word, we need to invest in their well-being. Uh, this is what Jesus did miracles for, part of the reason. One of the reasons why Jesus did miracles was to obviously validate his deity, that he is God. But secondly, by doing miracles, it opened the ears for people to be able to hear what he had to say. And this happens dozens and dozens and dozens of times in Scripture where Jesus will heal someone so that he could tell them something. One of the examples is this. In Luke 5, Jesus heals a leper. And right after the leper is healed, here's what Scripture tells us. It says, the report of his power, of Jesus' power, spread even faster and vast crowds came to hear him what? Preach. Right? He invested in their well-being. A friend of mine named Neely once said this. She said, Jesus earned the right to speak by addressing the physical needs of the people around him. He earned the right to speak. An old saying you've probably heard is this, is that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And so we need to show them what they care. And maybe, you know, we are not using miracles in the same way per se. Maybe you have that gift. Maybe you do not. But you can at least help out in practical ways. Simple things. Like if they have a need, look for it and then fill it. Find a need and fill it. It's as simple as that. I heard a story this week from some friends of our, a friend of mine, about some of the people inside of our church. And I love these kind of stories. There's a group of neighbors who kind of live next to each other here at Arbor. And they realized that one of their neighbors who doesn't go to church here, who doesn't know Christ, their roof has big tarp over it. And at night, sometimes the wind will pick up and the rain is coming in and they will hear them and see them out on the roof trying to hammer down the tarp. So they got the idea, why don't we help? Right? Now this isn't one of our people, right? This isn't this is an Arbor person, but it is a person that God loves. And so out of the kindness of their heart, they're going to replace the roof. They have, they're going to pool some of their money together. We as a church get a chance to invest in this as well. They got a contractor on the line, and they went over this week and told them that we'd like to replace your roof. How amazing is that? That's expensive. That's meeting a need. It is a total blessing. Total blessing. I love that. Friends, we say, we do good things to earn goodwill to share good news. I will say that again because that's 
Good. That's really good. We do good things to earn goodwill, to share good news. And that is the gospel. So we have got to, like Jesus modeled, we need to invest in their well-being before we ever open our mouth to share them the good news. Maybe they're ready for it, but it's better to care for them before we share what's something, that was something we care about. And so let's talk about it. Let's talk about what Jesus said. One of the most famous quotes that I have heard, and I've heard it from preachers and pastors and people in churches all the time is this. Always preach the gospel. And if necessary, use words. How many of you have heard that statement? Always preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Hear me clearly. It's necessary to use words. You have to use words to preach the gospel. What that is really saying, is, for the most part, is let your actions, let your life reflect the good news that you are sharing right? You got to talk the talk. You got to walk the walk and talk the talk. But oftentimes when I hear that preached or when I heard that used, it's an excuse for me not to open my mouth because I'm comfortable. It cannot be an excuse. It is necessary for us to open our mouth. Jesus couldn't share the gospel without opening his mouth. He ended up doing it. So he, he preached everywhere he went. And so let's look at how Jesus preached. Famously, when people think about how Jesus preached, the number one way he preached is with stories. He started with stories, and I think we should start with stories. Stories about lost sheep, lost coins, lost kids, runaway kids, an unre unforgiving servant, a compassionate stranger, a great banquet, lamps, stands, bushels, houses, seeds, bags of gold, widows, virgins, tenants, kings, sheep, and fish. Jesus is famous for using stories, object lessons. He would rock along and he would see something and he would do an illustration on it. And the reason he did that is he was trying to speak the language, their language. He was talking in a way in which they could potentially understand. Trying to draw connections. Connections between what? Them and the kingdom. He would use things that are known to try to explain the things that were unknown, like the kingdom of God and heaven. So he'd talk about a good Samaritan, but really what he was talking about was the kingdom of God. And so he started with stories in a way that would catch their attention and would also engage them. That doesn't mean for us that we need to be the greatest storytellers on the planet, but I do think we should use stories. We are naturally drawn. Have you noticed that? We are naturally drawn to stories. God's put that in us. And so we should look at what Jesus did and we should model that. One, we should just first off listen to their story. Everybody has a story to tell. So when you're talking to someone who's far away from God, step one, listen to their story. Instead of shooting in to share your story right away, listen to their story and then share your story. When the time is right, Peter said this, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. And so he said we should be ready, right? We should be prepared. So we should be prepared. How many of you prepared? If I were to ask you, hey, just tell me in less than a minute, tell me in 30 seconds, what's your story about God? Would you be ready to answer that question right here? Now, some of you are not yet, some of you are like, no. 
So we're going to raise some hands, and I'm going to pick on you. Just kidding. Jonathan, not you. <laughs> you ready to go? Let me give you an example. 30-second elevator speech. Tell your story in 30 seconds. Someone asks you for the hope that you believe or you want to share Christ with them. You can tell them your story. This is my story. I grew up hearing about Jesus, but I lived my life for myself. And because of that, it eventually led me to a place of pain, insecurity, and emptiness. And then in my 20s, what happened is God got a hold of me. He got my attention. And I said yes to him, and it changed my life. It changed my life. I got the fresh start that I so needed, and he has been with me every step of the way since then. I will be honest with you, my life is not perfect And I have gone through some very difficult things, but he has carried me with his love through it. And it is the reason I have hope. He is the reason I have hope in my life today. It's as simple as that. You just, we just need to share our story. We have to prove to everybody that we are right. We are right because the Bible, yes, I get it. We are right because God's word is truth. But you can... Try to bang this over their head. They're not going to listen to you. But what people will listen to is a changed life. And if your life has been changed by Christ, tell that story. Tell that story. And so if you want help with this, what we actually did this week is we put together a testimony tool. We actually put together, hey, here's some steps to put together your 30-second testimony. So if you are interested in that, we'll email that out to you. It's free, of course. But just if you want to write on your card, testimony tool, and when you drop it off inside of the boxes, we'll just email that to you, and you could start to craft yours together. It just gives you some ideas on how to go about it. The key, I would say that buddy's testimony, very important, make Christ the hero because he is the hero. Sometimes we forget that. We tell our story, and it's all about us, but our stories all center around Christ and the glorification of him. All right, so like Jesus, I suggest we start with story. Two is we need to address the need. Like Jesus, we need to address the need. There is a gap between mankind and Christ and between God, and Jesus didn't shy away from sharing the truth. He said one of the most divisive things on the planet and sharing the truth when he said, no one can come to the Father except through me. No one. Saying you have a need, you are separated from God. The only way you can get there is through me. He talked about someone who needed living water. He talked about someone who should be born again. He called the Pharisees and the Sadducees a brood of vipers. He was straightforward in saying there's a gap. He said, you're all clean on the outside, but on the inside, you're missing the mark. Rich young ruler comes across to him and says, hey, I want to follow you. So Jesus identifies the need in that man's life, his love for his gold, his love for his comfort. And he says, go and sell everything and come and follow me. He addressed the need. We can't shy away from this need, and people feel it internally. Something is off. He wasn't afraid to offend and to share the truth of the matter, and the truth of the matter is sin. Paul said this, he says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's our reality. That's the truth. And we've got to share that. We can't be afraid of addressing the need. I was talking to our executive pastor, Anna, this week, 
and she was telling me about a time when she stayed at an Airbnb, and they were there during the Christmas season with their family, and in the middle of the night, her and her husband uh, woke up to this sound, you know, um, inside of the front room, and they're like, there's nobody in the front room. And so it disturbed them enough that um, they got up, they went into the front room, they didn't see anything, and they realized as they got in there and they sat on the couch that rats were infestation in the place, and they were climbing up and down the Christmas tree, up and down the Christmas tree. And they were inside the house with their, with their, their new son was there, and I think you were pregnant at the time, and, 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 and so they've got rats inside of the house. So they sat on the couch not sure what to do in this, and, and all of a sudden they realized that one of the rats was going into the kitchen and stealing, what are they called again, nutter Muddy Buddies. Yeah, I never, I don't, we don't make those for Christmas, but I know lots of people do. So there were Muddy Buddies on the counter in a bucket, and the rats were going in and grabbing them and then coming out one at a time. And they were going in there nuts. They were hanging out in the kitchen. In fact, what's crazy is Anna got out her phone and took a picture. So look at this. This is nuts. (laughs) I'm kidding. That's not it. This is the actual picture right here. That's the actual picture. So here you are on vacation, you're enjoying your time, and then there's a rat, the rats in the kitchen filling the whole entire place. So she had a choice to make. She could call the property manager in the morning and let them know that they have rats, which is exactly what she did. But that's an uncomfortable situation, is it not? I'd like my money back. There were rats inside of the house. This place is not good. You need to take care of this. That's uncomfortable for the property manager to hear, is it not? It is uncomfortable for people to hear that they have a sin problem. But it's a problem nonetheless. It is something that needs to be taken care of, right? And we can't just gloss over it and say, oh, just be a good person and you'll be fine, right? That's not it. That's not it. Sin doesn't make you bad. Sin makes you dead. And we need to help give them life. And we can do that through Christ. And so Jesus, he started with stories. He addressed the need, and here's the best part. Then, at that point, he offered hope. He offered hope. Often, Jesus would talk about the kingdom of God, and to the ears of the Jews, that was hope, real words of hope. It says the kingdom of God is like a hidden treasure. It's like a pearl of great price. It's like a lost coin, a lost sheep, a lost child that was all of a sudden found. The kingdom of God belongs to the poor. It belongs to the childlike. It belongs to the persecuted. It is here, it is now, and it is for eternity of being right standing with the Father. The kingdom of God through Christ frees us from suffering and from pain and from loss and from sin. And at one point in time, Jesus offered the hope. He says, I am the hope. He said this. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Friends, hope is found in Jesus himself. And friends, people need hope. Today, they need hope more than ever, do they not? They really do. Hope is more powerful than fear. It is more essential than breathing. It is life-giving. And people are out there and they're dying, literally dying for hope. And here's the crazy part. We have it. 
We have it, and we've been commissioned to give it to them. Jesus is still the hope of the world. He still is the hope of the world. When my daughter Maggie was sick, we were advised by doctors and by friends not to tell her that she would be passing away because they wanted her to have hope. They said how powerful hope was. Don't take her hope away from her by telling her that that there is no medicine that can cure what you have, right? And that these experimental drugs, there's a good chance that they could potentially work. Put your hope in the doctors. My daughter was three, but she knew that her hope didn't lie with doctors. Her hope was in Jesus, and in that period of time, our hope was in Jesus. And because of that, my daughter's with Jesus, right? That's something I hope and look forward to. I hope and I'm so looking forward to that. And so many of you, like me, have had somebody that has passed away of cancer, or maybe you have cancer in this moment. I was thinking about that first service as I said that, and I looked out, and I'm like, oh yeah, he has cancer. If you got that diagnosis, and all of a sudden, someone comes up to you, touches you on the shoulder, and says, it's gone. Would you be quiet about something like that? I have the cure to cancer. It is me. If I just touch you, then you will be fine, and cancer will go away. I'm telling you, if that person was walking on this planet during the time of Maggie's diagnosis, I would hunt them down and find them. I'd carry my daughter, and some of you would do the same. We have that type of healing power through Christ. We have that kind of hope. And so what we really need to do is we need to bring people to Jesus, to the source of healing. We've got to tell them. Paul said this, and he's quoting the prophet Isaiah when he says this out of Romans 15. He says, the heir to David's throne. So what he's doing is he's referring to Jesus, who is often referred to as the son of David. So the heir to David's throne will come. How will he come? He's going to come in a manger. That will happen. We'll celebrate that in a couple weeks. And he will rule over the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? The Gentiles are us. Anybody who's not a Jew, that is us. They will place their hope on him. Talking about Jesus. Paul continues, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then, so then, after we place our trust in him, then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, we have hope. And we have hope in Christ. And we are commissioned to share that hope with the world. Now, if I were a betting man, and I'm talking straight here, just talking church as your pastor, I would say this. Statistically speaking, 90 to 95% of you are going to blow me off when it comes to the application of this. It's going to go in one ear and out the other. And I don't believe that's because you don't think that sharing Christ's love and having gospel conversations is important. But statistically speaking, walking out of this place, it apparently isn't important enough to actually have gospel conversations. I don't say that to be harsh. I'm not trying to. You are my friends. You are my family. But I don't preach here every week just to give you information. 
Preaching by nature is persuasive. I preach for transformation, not information. I'm not just trying to tell you what the Bible says. I'm saying this can change your life, so let it change your life and do what it says. And what Jesus says is to go and to preach, right? Every week I don't get up here, and it's not so that we can say, oh, Jake, that was a good point, nice job, well done, you know, pat on the back, here you go. It's not that. That's not the point. In fact, friends, the points I make in my sermons aren't even the point of each Sunday morning. The point of me standing up here is that we would move into action, that we would get up out of our chair and we would go and change lives. We have that power. We have that opportunity. That's what this is all about. Life change. This church depends on it. The church depends on it. The church is moving in backward motion in the United States. It doesn't need to. We have to speak up. The disciples spoke up. The same ones who observed Jesus in action. Look at what happened to them in Acts 4. Here's what they said. They said, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They were compelled to tell. Compelled to tell. They couldn't keep their mouth closed. What did they talk about? They talked about the life transformation that they experienced, and yes, you can experience it too. In Acts 5, it says this, day after day in the temple courts, and from house to house, they being the disciples, never stopped teaching and preaching. The good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They were compelled to tell. Compelled to tell. When I first entered in to ministry, 1998 and 1999, I was an intern at Overlake. I went in there. There was a student in the ministry who could not be missed. His name was John Barbalato. John Barbalato was a preacher. He was born to be a preacher. How do I know this? Because John would go and he would talk to every student in the ministry. He would carry his Bible and he would have gospel conversations. What's Jesus doing in your life today? We would go to camps and at these camps, we would have leaders that would be trained to minister to the students. But we would also have John. And John would go and talk to little students at the picnic table with his Bible, and he would have gospel conversations. We were at parks, and he would talk to the park rangers with his Bible, um, talking to them about the good news of Christ. He would even talk to our leaders and trying to motivate them to have more of a relationship with Jesus. John was crazy about Jesus. Unfortunately, John, when he went to college on his way home, he ended up hitting a slick patch and on his way home across the pass, went over the side and crashed and died. And I bet you John is in heaven having a conversation with Jesus about Jesus. Because <laughs> that man loved to preach and he never actually got to become a man. It was interesting. But man, that guy wanted to tell everyone that he met, everyone that he came across with, every conversation. And you're like, well, that's weird. Well, okay. It's weird, but man, how impactful was John's life in the small time that he had here on this planet? It was huge. 
the students who were around at that time who I still talk to still talk about John and the impact that they had, he had in their life. The man was compelled to tell. And so I get the hesitation, friends. I do. We worry about a lot of stuff. We worry about whether we know Scripture well enough. I'll shoot straight with you. Even as a pastor, I worry about that. Do I know enough? We'll never understand Scripture fully and completely because it's so vast and so deep. But if you know he changed my life and he can change yours, that's enough. That's enough Scripture. If you know John 3.16, you know enough Scripture. You might be thinking, well, I'm not a preacher. I don't do this. Or what if I blow it, Jake? What if I start the conversation and I blow it? Okay. It's better to make a mistake than to do nothing. We got to try and obey. What if you don't want to offend God? I don't want to offend, Jake. I don't want to offend people. People are going to be offended one way or another. Probably the biggest excuse, but we don't ever want to admit it, is that we don't want to be rejected. We don't want to be rejected. We don't want people to think ill of us because we said something about Christ and turned the conversation to him. This is super important when it comes to what Jesus modeled. Jesus risked rejection by sharing about himself and the good news of the kingdom. He risked rejection. How do I know this? Because he was rejected. He was rejected. And if we are to be like him, and if we are to preach like him, then we need to risk rejection as well. I think the time has come to silence our excuses. Truly. We need to speak up. We need to preach up. We need to preach like Jesus and have gospel conversations. And so I'll conclude with this thought. When is the best time to have those conversations? Timing is very important, is it not? Probably the four best times that you can have this conversation are as follows. One, when they ask. Peter said, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. So we need to be prepared for that. So when they ask, great time to say, here's why I believe what I believe. Let me tell you about Jesus. Another time to be able to share Christ's love and its effectiveness is this, is when you, someone is going through a difficult situation, that they are hurting, they're in pain, they cannot see the light at the end of the tunnel, and you get a chance to hold that light up for them and say that light is Christ, and he can change your life. I know that firsthand. We all, so many of us know that firsthand. When someone is going through a difficult time, they're looking and longing for hope, and they need answers. We have the answer. The other time when it's important and it's just strategic is when someone's in transition. So someone's heading off to college, great time. They're looking at what's my life, what's going on with my life. One of the most strategic times when people would enter in student ministries was when they were entering into junior high or they were entering into high school. Those were the two most strategic times people would say yes to Christ when it came to student ministries. When we walk through transitions, like getting married, our life has changed. All of a sudden, we're looking for something stable to hold on to. When we have kids, our life is flipped upside down, right? Things are nuts. It's no longer the same. And at that point in time, we're looking at life through different lenses, through the eyes of our kids. And in a transition like that, people are very open to the gospel. 
But one of the most crazy times to be able to have these conversations are at two seasonal times a year. And that is at Easter and that is at Christmas. Right now is one of the most strategic times to have gospel conversations. Why? Because people are open to it. They're open to it. They're opening, they're open to listen because of the season that it is. And so I encourage you, I employ you, I beg of you, open your mouth this Christmas. Share the hope of Christ. See what it does. Put that investment in. We have the light of the world inside of us. And this world is dark and dying and they need to, they need to see it. They need that hope. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's pray.